This is episode number 15 of the Abuse Talk podcast with me, Jennifer Gilmore. Welcome to the Abuse Talk podcast. My name is Jennifer Gilmore and I turned my mess into a message. I'm an author and advocate for women in abusive relationships and promote that together we are louder. Each fortnight there is a new episode on the Abuse Talk podcast featuring a series of interviews with those that work in the domestic abuse sector, getting an inside feel for what it's really like in their job role and sharing it with all of you. There's also a chance for you to join in the discussion by leaving a voice recording a message so that we can share together in the discussion. Before we get started, I want to say a big thank you to Rockpool. They sponsor Hashtag Abuse Talk, the Twitter chat, the forum and this podcast. You can find out more about them at rockpool.life and they deliver trauma-informed programmes. I also want to say a big thank you to my patrons. That's Katrina Hay and Susan Rahima. They basically pledge each month to support this channel and they get exclusive information on what's happening with Hashtag Abuse Talk. You can join them by looking on patreon.com for jennifer gilmore or go forward slash jen l gilmore you can also head to my website jennifergilmore.com and find it through there so yeah thank you and now we're going to head into the interview in this interview i speak with elizabeth from abused men in scotland she is a helpline support officer so you can find out more about her role in just a moment i also want to note that this was recorded in august 2019 so we've been going back and forth for this podcast and this is the last one that I'm covering um everything else from now on is going to be brand new content so make sure you're subscribed and tuned in and listen to what's going on on social media so you can find out about the future interviews so hi everyone welcome to hashtag abuse talk um, I'm delighted to have somebody from further up north <laughs> with us today. Um, it's Elizabeth from Abused Men in Scotland. And Elizabeth has joined us um, on Hashtag Abuse Talk for quite some weeks now and has given some really good insight. And I thought it'd be really good to share about what Abused Men in Scotland does and find out a bit more about what Elizabeth does. So welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Jennifer. Um, so first of all I thought it'd be a really good idea for you to just tell us a bit about you and, and what you do with Abuse Men in Scotland. Um, I'm a helpline support officer. Um, at the moment most of our support is provided via the telephone and email and we support male survivors of domestic abuse, um, including um, transmasculine and trans men. And sometimes we support concerned friends and family members as well. Um, we have started running dropping sessions for people who live in Edinburgh and would prefer a wee bit of face-to-face support but as I said mostly at the moment is through telephone and email. Right okay and 
so your role as a, like a support officer then um what are you responsible for um obviously you mentioned about telephone emails but i'm assuming these are like set hours for the phone line um yeah the phone line is open between 9 a.m and 4 p.m on monday to friday um you can leave a message outside of those hours and we'll get back to you but please let us know if it's safe for us to call you back because if we don't know that it is safe we'll err on side of caution and we won't contact you because we wouldn't want you to put be put at risk um, any emails um, if they send over the weekend, we aim to answer them as soon as possible within um, two working days. That's great. Um, so, can you just tell me a bit about um, how long Abuse Men in Scotland has been running and why did it open? Um, it started off as a very small organisation. Um, around 2010 I think um, there was a small group of women who were concerned about um, male friends and family members who were experiencing abuse in their relationships and they were trying to support their friends and relatives and trying to find out information about where these men can go um, at that point in Scotland, the answer was no way. Right. And so these small group of women thought, well, if not us, who? And over the years, it's um, gradually expanded into a national helpline. I mean, they did begin with kitchen sink, you know, kitchen table operation, and it was all volunteers, but slowly and steadily, Amis has grown. I was going to actually lead on to that kind of question of, um, obviously it's, it says obviously abuse men in Scotland and it's up in the north, and I, um, I was wondering whether it was like a geographical, you know, just the geography of it, if it was better to keep um, it niche and to that area, would that be better for, or whether you found that people from the rest of the UK have started ringing and that's why you've had to sort of expand or consider it? Oh, um, because of devolution, um, the definition of domestic abuse is different here in Scotland than it is in Northern Ireland, England and Wales um, and we've always had a different legal system here in Scotland and so our area of expertise would be you know the legal system and the support that's available in Scotland. I mean we do have some calls from people who live in Wales and England and occasionally Northern Ireland but apart from giving 
some emotional support, especially if they're very distressed when they call. We try to refer them on to an organisation in their country or in their region because um, although I personally have worked within the domestic abuse um, field down south, um, you know, things are moving on, the law is changing all the time and it's much better from our point of view if someone has the specialised support that is tailored to their country and to their region. And would you say, um, talking about sort of the different definitions, and I know um, you kind of spoke a bit and sort of asked questions about this, um, I think it was about maybe a month or so ago, Ooh. on the discussion, which I found really interesting. Do you think there is a massive difference between the different countries in the UK to do with the definitions and the different laws? Um, I'm ashamed to admit that I don't know that much about Northern Ireland. Okay. Um, I know that before they had the political appeal and storm and closed down, they were looking to introduce coercive control legislation um, and that already exists in England and Wales and more recently in Scotland. So they've had to put that on the back burner because um, Stormont isn't sitting at the moment. Um, so as things stands, coercive control is illegal in you know three out of the four countries within the UK. Um, but even just going back to the bare bones of the definition, in Scotland, the government definition seems to be quite gendered. Right. And there is a small section which um, the Scottish government's um, equally safe plan that says we recognise that abuse happens to men and boys too. Mm. So things are getting slightly better here. I think in my experience, and this just might be my perception, in England and Wales, there seems to be a little bit more recognition that um, abuse can happen regardless of gender identity, sexual orientation, age, ethnicity, religion, and regardless of ability or disability. Mm. And I think in England and Wales as well, definition is a bit broader in that it includes family members who were over the age of 16. And here in Scotland, domestic abuse is just seen as something that happens between intimate partners or ex-intimate partners. Right. It's quite interesting though, isn't it, to look at sort of the different sides, you know, of it and 
um, on Abuse Talk, we have people from different countries. So I'm always trying mm. to find out the, the sort of differences that we face. And um, I was shocked when when you published the news about the coercive control um, in Scotland, because I think in the sides of, for me, originally, I was very much like, well, this is just the law in the UK, but I didn't expect yeah. the differences. And un unfortunately, sometimes there is there is that difference. And I feel like it's a good step forward um, for someone mm. that is mm. forward in that direction. So I um, also wondered for you as a person working for um, Abuse Men in Scotland then, what is the most challenging thing about your job? And your role? Um, sometimes um, we need to try to find a refuge space for a man because it is so dangerous that he can't stay within his home or within the same area and that can be quite challenging because until relatively recently there were only two organisations which had refuge space available and now due to funding cuts there is one. Um, so it can be quite challenging to get people to safety. Um, but I think even less serious cases that can sometimes be, you know, quite challenging. Um, I think sometimes um, men need a little bit more time to um, feel comfortable and to open up about their experiences of abuse. I mean, especially a lot of the time, I hear, well, I'm not being abused, but, and then they describe coercive control, or, and they say, well, I'm not frightened, but I sleep in the bathroom with the door locked. Um, so I think partially the challenges would be, you know, trying to keep people as safe as possible, you know, um, and that's difficult for me personally, when I know that someone needs to be removed from the situation. And I try my best, but sometimes there's just no space available in refuges around Scotland. Um, yeah, so after difficult calls, um, we do have a debrief right. um, with colleagues and um, I'm able to take a little bit of time out so I'm okay before I support anyone else. Yeah, and I think that's really important, especially in in your kind of job role and listening to 
all those kind of things that are happening to those you know men that it's important that you look after your mental health and well-being so it's really really good to hear that there's already like a process in place for that um do do you find that you struggle with that or do you think the process works or do you think that um i don't know like you still go home and feel like you've got that kind of weight or the thoughts or the it on your on your mind basically Mm -hmm. i think the process does work during working hours like i said we have the debrief and we're able to take a little bit of a break if it's a difficult call um another colleague will pick up you know the next call or email um at home um i am scrupulous about my self-care because to me it's the difference between if you see someone struggling in a river and they look like you're drowning if i jump in myself i might get into trouble and i might drown too but if um i'm able to throw them uh you know life raft or the rubber ring you know i'm able to support from the shore and you know be okay myself and i would be more effective help if i'm able to leave it behind yeah no i i absolutely really love um, how you've described that thank you for that um so why do you think it's important to be gender specific um well i think it's mainly because there was a, a gap in provision um, when our misfits began. Um, there are organisations dotted around Scotland who were a wee bit more com- in- inclusive. Mm. I mean, there's one up in the Highlands and there's one in the Central Belt. But when we first began, there was the support available for women and children. Yeah. And that was it. And sometimes Scottish Women's Aid were willing to support male survivors and sometimes they weren't. Right. Um, So, yeah, that's why it was set up, you know, to cover the gap in the provisions. Um, I think... Do you think it... Because I think it helps um, in a way being gender specific. I know some people might not agree with that, but do, you, do you, I would imagine that there might be a difference in the resources and mm. in the type of um, support that you give. Would you agree with that? or? Um, yeah, I think so, because... Um, Obviously, there are some core aspects of abuse which are very, very similar 
no matter who's the perpetrator and who the survivor is. And yet, um, because of things like um, gender stereotyping, etc., um, and how people feel that a woman should be, how people feel that a man should be, um, it can be better to speak to an organisation where you feel comfortable and um, there are some aspects of abuse against men which um, would be different of abuse against women. What we find is if um, a man has been abused, um, he tends to stay for the children. And I realize that a lot of women would want to stay because of the children. But from a male perspective, because the expectation is that the children would stay with their mother, that the male parent, the father, wouldn't want to leave the children alone mm. with someone who is abusive. Mm. And sometimes an abusive parent will try to withhold contact, contact mm. or threaten to withhold contact. And obviously <clears throat> there are occasions when there is a very good reason for parents to withhold contact, you know, be worried about the safety of their children and, <clears throat> sorry, about, you know, the other parents' behaviour. Mm. But when there are no genuine concerns, mm. you know, that is a form of abuse. Yes, um, it's really difficult and it, it's sort of, it's, it's difficult to be able to sort of recognise that as well because mm. of that, the, the gender side of it. Um, so, what if you could um, abolish a myth surrounding um, male victims, what would it be? <laughs> Ooh hard question really <laughs> just one well you can you can mention more than one if you want <laughs> i think one of the biggest myths is that men are never survivors and unfortunately there are still some people who think that Amis are here to support perpetrators. Oh, right. And that is just not true. Um, so, yeah, um, there's a lot of statistics that get bandied around. Right. 
um, that more women are affected by abuse than men. And we do know that there's under-reporting. Women under-report too. But um, a lot of our callers, for example, have never ever been to the police right. about any abuse. And so they're not picked up in the statistics. Mm. And I know from a few years ago, there was a similar issue about women under-reporting as well. Um, I think these figures come from England though, that on average, uh, a woman would need to be assaulted, I think it was 36 times before she'd be willing to call the police. Um, but those were for a few years ago from England, so I'm not sure how accurate they would be now. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of under-reporting um, that has hidden the scale of the problem. I think in 2017, the Police Scotland report on domestic abuse, they found that of all the call-outs to domestic abuse incidents, 20% um, of survivors were male and 80% female. And we find that that figure is kind of inverse Rose, around 80% of the people that call us say that they haven't reported to the police. Yeah. Yes, it's really, it's really difficult to really get a true statistic. Um, it and is. That doesn't help the work that you're doing or mm. you know, the sort of moving on and when you're trying to make changes. Yeah. It's it. I think it's always important to report in, in a sense and you know I've said to a few people to even if they feel uncomfortable just to, to log it so it's logged on the system if mm. you feel that it's an inappropriate behaviour and it, yeah. you know years later when you feel able to it could help mm. and, mm. Um, and like mm. there's apps now so I don't know if you've heard like about the keep um, yeah which I think is such a, a, a good idea and perhaps mm. help um, maybe men more, I'm not sure. Um, and also there, we do have a few men that join in with hashtag abuse talk. Mm. So it, I find it really helpful that you're there. So if I ever need <laughs> Thank you. direct, even though sometimes they're not in Scotland. Um, mm. But yeah, even that advice and that knowing there is support because um, I feel that there are a few men that join in that feel that they're unable to get the support, which is um, really upsetting. Um, so if people want to find um, or find abuse men in Scotland, how would they go about um, either getting support or in general, how do we, how do we find you? Well, in general, um, we're on Facebook and Twitter 
and we've got our website abusemeninscotland.org and you can contact us by email and that's contact at amis.org.uk um, the helpline number is 0808-800-0024 between 9 and 4 Monday to Fridays. That's great and I will pop all of the information in the, the description of this video so if anybody wants to directly link and click through to their emails they can do. Um, so I just want to say a big thank you for answering those questions. Um, is, is there anything that you, you know that you feel is burning that you would like to say or let people know or or even if there's um, men that are, are watching this video um, and they are maybe feeling that they're unable to have that initial phone call or talk mm. to you what would you say um well i just remembered when you mentioned about logging it um i don't know about in england and wales but in Scotland, we have domestic abuse liaison officers, right, okay. and we're, they're not responsible for investigating incidents of domestic abuse. So, if you would like to just log information about a partner's behaviour, um, you're able to talk to a DALO. Right. And they will record all the information, but an investigation will not be opened without your permission. Right. No, that's great. That's useful information. Thank you for that. <laughs> it's good yeah. to know, isn't it? Because it's sort of different. And I'm, I, there are um, domestic abuse support officers, but I, they, from what from what I know, the the police tend to sort of delegate to the local authority, um, um, local support or victim support yeah. and things like that um but for so for example out of my situation i just um logged a few instances that were never taken forward i just did it on the 101 number mm. and then coming forward now when you know something maybe happened that was a larger or or it was time then all those logs really helps yeah. you know the mm. sense of where to go next um so, or even um, I kept a diary. So yeah. having that that to sort of remember, especially if there's like gaslighting, and so you wonder, you can rem take your own recollection of everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. So again, I want to thank you because there is um, clearly differences um, in the definitions and in the law, and we all seem to be in a different point of the race line kind of. <laughs> Thing. Yeah. So it's really interesting and we really appreciate you joining in um, and giving us an insight really into your job role. So thank you so much um, again for joining us.
So I've just realised that I made a mistake in the last episode of um, Hashtag Abuse Talk on the podcast and that was because I told everybody that the next episode was in fact in April but obviously you've had it today. So the next episode is the 2nd of April and if you can't wait until then you can watch it live on the YouTube channel on the 1st of April. And you can also listen to it on Access Northwest Radio Station, Wednesdays 8pm, Saturdays 2pm, Mondays 5am. So do keep an eye out on social channels for any mishaps that I have in the future, but hopefully that was a one-off. You've been listening to Jennifer Gilmore, author of Isolation Junction and Clipped Wings. You can find them on my website, jennifergilmore.com, or head to Amazon. Amazon.